Sustainably Eco podcast. My name is Jeff Henry, and I am the business development coordinator with Sustainable Kingston. We're a nonprofit based in Kingston, Ontario, with the goal of enhancing the livability and resiliency of the limestone city. We do this by sharing knowledge and providing programs that drive community action. We're thrilled to be launching this monthly podcast series in which we'll be talking to leaders in sustainability. So, what is Sustainably.eco? Well, I'm glad you asked. Sustainably.eco is a program developed by Sustainable Kingston that helps connect people with Canadian businesses and organizations that care. We help you reduce your carbon footprint, and then we celebrate your success on an online platform, Sustainably.eco. Members of the program have an opportunity to earn up to 12 badges inspired by the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Each monthly podcast will focus on topics related to each badge. Now, we don't want to be an infomercial for the program, so we're going to focus on broader topics related to the badges. You'll hear from current Sustainably.eco members in Kingston and the Thousand Islands, but we'll also catch you up on broader trends throughout Canada and the world. This episode is sponsored by Kingston and Frontenac Housing Corporation. Kingston and Frontenac Housing Corporation provides quality, affordable housing, advocates for strong communities, and respect for all. KFHC manages 967 rent-to-geared income units. A Sustainably.eco member since 2018, KFHC received the Green Economy Leadership Award in the same year and has reduced their GHG emissions by 16%. For more information, check out kfhc.ca. So for the very first episode of Sustainably.eco, the podcast, we wanted to provide some history and context to the program, and who better to provide that than Kristen Mullen, who is the Executive Director of Sustainable Kingston. Kristen, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Thank you for having me. Now, we, of course, are socially distanced, um, but uh, Kristen and I work together at Sustainable Kingston. Um, and. Kristen, maybe you can talk a little bit about how long you've been in the role and uh, how you got into this line of work, how you found yourself in the world of sustainability. Yeah, so um, I've been at Sustainable Kingston for about two years. Um, before that, I've, I've always worked in the nonprofit sector, but uh, I've always felt really connected to nature and especially the way that people interact with the environment and share resources with other other species is, is all really interesting to me. Um, I have a background in biotechnology and communications, uh, so I think it really was just a natural fit. Kristen, could you tell us a little bit about why the program got started? What was the impetus for Sustainably.eco? Yeah, so um, Sustainable Kingston has had a green economy program for our business members since about 2017. And that program was really effective. It has reduced thousands of greenhouse gas emissions from going into the atmosphere, but it's really focused on energy. Um, so many of our business members were doing so many things above and beyond just looking at their energy usage in their buildings. Um, and we wanted to create a more inclusive program that pushed them to achieve kind of a higher level of, of reductions, but was also more inclusive of all the decision makers from their workplace team and celebrated all of their successes. So we developed Sustainably.eco to provide more recognition to all of their efforts across 12 different aspects of sustainability. And those 12 aspects are focused in on, on 12 different badges that businesses can earn. Great. And so what's, what's the, the most important function of the badge system? 
Um, so with our badge system, we, we wanted to create it so it was, um, so, so members had to work really hard to make sure that that each badge was really pushing them to move to, an, to a higher level. Um, we developed them with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, we wanted to make sure each badge was credible and really, like I said, pushed our members to go that extra mile. Um, so we wanted to bring out a sense of kind of friendly competition amongst our members while encouraging them to be more sustainable and to tread lighter on the planet. So I think a lot of people can relate to being kind of a girl guide or a boy scout in their childhood or even swimming lessons and that feeling of, of earning a badge that you've worked so hard for. So we wanted to capture that same feeling and help our members move forward on a path to become more sustainable in all aspects of their business. So when our members do earn a badge, we encourage them to, to wear those badges proudly by adding them to their websites, their social media, or any other promotional tools that they have. That's great. And, and often when I'm talking to businesses about the program, I'm, I mentioned that the, the badge allows consumers to know specifically what the business or the organization has done to become more sustainable um, and, uh, and really helps avoid greenwashing. So I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to turn a little bit to just what's going on right now. Obviously, this is a very unique time in our, our history. And wh where do you see the sustainability mo movement going in the age of COVID-19? Uh, wh what are some of the biggest challenges, the opportunities? Obviously, there's been, um, you know, a reduction in greenhouse gases, but um, there's concern about renewables and public transit. Where, where do you see things going right now? Um, I think when COVID started, a lot of our sustainable practices kind of went out the window in order to protect ourselves. Um, stores stopped taking back reusables. People were relying on disinfectant wipes and disposable gloves and masks and all, all those types of things. Um, but we've also seen a lot of positive changes. So cities have converted downtown streets to pedestrian zones. Um, there's reduced emissions from travel. People are working from home and workplaces are developing policies for work from home. Um, there's been a lot of wildlife, sorry, wildlife renewal. And I think one of the biggest positives from COVID is that we've all had a chance to slow down and think about our next steps. There's never been so much talk about green recovery or building back better. Um, so I think we all just need to be really creative and willing to change in order to protect our future. And I think that COVID has forced us to do that. That's great. Yeah. And and so what, what do you see? I mean, there's obviously we're, we're part of a, a larger network um, of similar hubs in similar organizations across, across Canada and across the world. Are, are there similar organizations doing what we do in other communities that you find really inspiring? Like who's, is, is there either the organization or the project, is there something that just sort of stands out as, wow, these, if, if we can get to this point, if we can all get to this point, we'll be in really good shape. Yeah, um, that's a tough one because there's, there's so many. But on a, a national level, Environmental Defense um, is a really great organization. They're making amazing policy changes when it comes to environmental protection le legislation. Um, there's the Green Building Council that's trying to build high-performing, like healthy green buildings in Canada. We actually had the CEO of Trees Ontario speak at our last conference. He was really inspiring talking about their tree planting initiatives all along the 401. Um, and locally, I think that one of the groups that's making a lot of waves is, is Switch Kingston. So they're knowledgeable, they're a group of energy managers and inventors, and they have some really creative ideas and solutions to, to climate change issues. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Kristen, for, uh, for chatting. And uh, we're really excited about this podcast project, um, where, uh, again, we're going to be talking to 
sustainability leaders, both here in our, our own backyard of Kingston, but also from uh, to folks from across the country. And uh, we appreciate uh, taking your time and, and uh, helping us put all this uh, sustainably.eco in, in context and helping us out with the history a little bit. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be your first guest. This episode is sponsored by Gordon's Downsizing and Estate Services. Gordon's provides real estate downsizing and estate settlement solutions. Their team of certified professionals offer the efficient sale of real estate, careful handling of assets, and a suite of other services to manage downsizing. Gordon's is a sustainably.eco member committed to waste diversion, among other initiatives. For more information, please give them a call at 1-800-267-2206 or check out gogordons.com. So in addition to Kristen Mullen, we also spoke to David Heinemann and Ted Chu from Switch. Switch is a network of businesses, research and educational institutions, public sector partnerships, energy professionals, students and community volunteers dedicated to making southeastern Ontario a leading center in sustainable energy. They are also a Sustainably.eco member. David Heinemann is the chair of Switch and is the chief science officer at Fire Rain Inc., a clean technology company developing bio-based fire suppression products for the urban and wildland fire sectors. Ted Shu was the executive director of Switch from 2007 to 2011. He was a member of parliament for Kingston and the Islands from 2011 to 2015. I spoke to both of them by Zoom on Thursday, June 18th. So let's, I thought let's start with some good news. What, what developments, what recent developments in sustainable energy are you most excited about? David, I'll, I'll let you go first. Uh, I, I guess I, I'd say, you know, currently uh, the federal government's push to have green initiatives involved with the COVID recovery is, is, is a nice news story. Um, the fact that they're even thinking that they should, you know, float that trial balloon is, is really great. Um, obviously the devil's in the details and the implementation will be, you know, where, where, you know, they get tested on, on their commitment. Um, but you know, now is the perfect time to, to make that transition. Lots of organizations, you know, the international energy agency, um, major articles in The Economist are all talking about those same things. So uh, the fact that our government is, is saying the same things is very encouraging. Great. Ted, what about you? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put forward the idea that I'm, I'm, I'm excited that the Tesla, the company, is surviving and seems to be doing well uh, financially because... If if Tesla tes, if Tesla has some financial success, it'll spur all the other auto uh, companies to invest more and compete. Because if there's money to be made, people will will invest more, uh, and that will boost the whole industry. I see that the electric vehicle sector is it's, there's a chicken and egg problem, which comes from infrastructure. And so if you have more competition, more electric vehicles on the road competing against each other, it's that is actually good for the chicken and egg problem. Right. Uh, and I'm hoping that the federal government, as it as we come out of COVID-19, will also invest to see that um, the manufacturing of electric vehicles and also the, the uh, software value chain for the next generation of 
of uh, cars uh, becomes uh, an important part of the Canadian economy, just as yeah. uh, the automobile industry has been in the last 50 years, 50, 60, 70 years or so. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to, um, if I can add that to that, you know, the, the whole ripple effect of, um, you know, increased demand for electricity. How do you store that electricity? Do, does that then spur the, you know, um, emergence of a hydrogen economy, even if it is to generate electricity on demand at site for electric charging infrastructure, not necessarily to power our entire economy at the moment. Um, so, you know, the, the ripple effects can be very, can be huge from that, you know, shift to um, electric transportation and transit. Mm-hmm. Now, do you see, we've talked about the federal government, uh, the Ontario government canceled um, a number of contracts uh, earlier in their, their uh, mandate or their, their tenure. Do we see that changing at all? Do we see the ripple effect of the federal government potentially um, changing, changing the course of things with, uh, with the, the Ford government? Well, for, first of all, there was a court decision, which uh, the ruling was that the provincial government could not uh, cancel this particular uh, wind project in the area, uh, that the reasons, uh, the justification wasn't there. I think that's, that's one little step. But yeah, I do think that if the federal government is, is going to put funding behind climate initiatives as part of the, the post-coronavirus economic recovery, I think the provincial government will, will join in. Uh, it's, the provincial government has joined in federal housing initiatives and it's joined in all sorts of other, other federal initiatives. So I think, I think a federal initiative can definitely drive province, provincial governments to change their policies or modify their policies. Yeah. I mean, you know, item, items like the federal carbon tax, yes, there's been provincial pushback in various regions um, for, you know, various political and, and other um, reasons. Uh, ultimately, you know, so, things like that will prevail, in, in, in my opinion, certainly. And, and everybody will, you know, maybe kicking and screaming, you know, be forced to come along. Mm-hmm. So we will get there. It's just it could have been quicker if there was you know, more more compatibility around the table. Mm-hmm. The uh, Globe and Mail put out a, um, a, a prediction edition uh, maybe three or four Saturdays ago. I'm not sure if you saw it. And one of their predictions was the the rise of the mid-sized Canadian city. And David, I wanted to ask you what what are the advantages to operating a sustainable energy company or a business? for whom sustainable energy is an important component in a mid-sized Canadian city, a Kingston, a Moncton, a Kelowna, a Guelph. What, what, do you, what do you see as the real advantages? So, I, I, you know, g- given the current state of our connected world as far as IT and all of that, that takes an awful lot of barriers of size out of the equation, as long as you have proper you know, bandwidth uh, internet. So being in a smaller community, um, you know, both for the company that I work for and, and you know, uh, as a part of Switch, uh, it allows us to be nimble and try things that maybe we couldn't do in, in a larger city. I mean, I, I take, for example, um, Utilities Kingston. 
you know, they have been at the forefront of, um, you know, rolling out and, you know, meeting and exceeding all the provincial targets that, you know, that they're, they're faced with on, on a routine basis. And that is because they're integrated and they're small enough to be able to implement. Whereas, you know, a Hydro One or some of these larger, you know, institutions, as with larger cities, um, you know, the bureaucracy gets heavier and the ability to adapt and innovate um, thus slows down. So I think, you know, a, a city the size of a Kingston, um, I had a bit of stats here. There's 51 cities of a, of a 100,000 or more and 235 that are between a 10 and 100,000. And we're sort of in that sweet spot of being able to do things that maybe a smaller city could also implement, but also big enough that it could be used as a pilot for, you know, rollout, even, you know, as smaller segments in a bigger city initiative. So, um, and, you know, personally, you know, I've seen Kingston, we have an awful lot of like-minded people that, that want to make this happen, whether it's from within the academic sphere or just, you know, the, the general population that comes out to uh, switch meetings. They're all very passionate about, um, you know, making the changes that are needed. Our biggest problem is, you know, getting outside of our bubble and reaching, you know, the masses, which is, you know, the same problem that Sustainable Kingston and, you know, the city and everybody else has is how do we get the, the message out better. Mm -hmm. Ted, what do you see as the biggest difference maker in sustainable energy in the past 10 years? Okay, so I think that in the last 10 years, some of the more dramatic changes have been uh, the solar farms that have been built in the, in the area. Uh, the cost of solar and wind farms uh, coming down. So I, when I put solar panels on my house about 13 years ago, and they, they cost about a third now uh, what they did uh, 13 years ago. So as we continue to, to buy and install solar panels, as that demand continues, uh, then on the manufacturing side, you've got innovation, you've got scale, and that has brought down the price dramatically to the point where uh, in many places, they don't need sub subsidies. Um, mm -hmm. Then uh, locally, I think one of the areas where there's a lot of noticeable progress is in electric vehicles. So we see the charging infrastructure that uh, the city has been uh, moving forward on. Uh, we also uh, have the city trying out electric buses. I think that's... Uh, that's a good uh, development. And then there are just more organizations uh, like Sustainable Kingston and other, maybe some political action groups when Switch was founded in 2002. So it's 18 years now since Switch began. It was relatively alone as an organization in the sustainable energy space. So this, there, are, there are lots of hopeful signs. I mean, we need a lot bigger things to happen on a bigger scale across the country around the world. But uh, I think uh, there are some positive trends that we can see locally. That's great. I mean, you talked about the ripple effect and I can imagine that the, there's a normalization perhaps of, of uh, sustainable, like, you know, things like uh, solar, solar panels and, and EVs that, that when people see them more in the community, they realize, Oh, maybe they're not, they're not out of reach or they're not yeah. inaccessible. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I drive a, a Leaf and, you know, I've parked my car in Kingston, uh, here in Napanee, other places, 
And I've had complete strangers walk up to me and go, is that electric? And then I start into my spiel about, you know, the range it gets, you know, how much fun it is to ride, um, you know, the, the benefits as far as the cost. You know, fuel is about, you know, a quarter to a fifth what, uh, you know, an internal combustion engine car is. Um, so, you know, sometimes the lights go on after that discussion and, and, uh, um, actually our, our switch meeting in two weeks is, uh, a panel discussion about, uh, w with owners of electric vehicles and, uh, like Paul McClatchy from the city talking about what uh, the city is doing, um, as far as expanding their infrastructure, which goes back to the point that, you know, the size of Kingston, we can do these innovative things and it, and it. Yes, it's ex maybe more expensive per capita than in a really large city, but you know we can do it quicker. Mm -hmm. David, I'll give you the last word. Um, what's in store for Switch in 2020 and 20 say going going forward 2021? Well, um, since uh, since the beginning of 2020, we've really had a, a push to to do a couple things. One is uh, develop and, and reestablish much closer ties to the other you know, sustainably minded uh, organizations in, in the city and in the region. You know, to, to Ted's comment that when we started, we were you know, very much a lone wolf and, and it's encouraging to see, you know, the blossoming of all the um, support organizations and, and, you know, direct city initiatives. So making sure that we're an integrated family um, all speaking the same language, all supporting each other, you know, through um, commercial, you know, support or, you know, outreach to the public, that type of thing. And that includes obviously Sustainable Kingston, you know, organizations like Red Squirrel and, and the, the, you know, the great initiatives that the city's doing directly you know, to that. Uh, um, I'm, I'm part of one of the panels for the, the climate leadership plan. And so, you know, we're, we're trying to, make sure that our voice, you know, as a longstanding uh, supporter is, is there. I'd say the other thing is um, as, as we grow, uh, we've seen a shift of our um, participants uh, away from industrial members towards more of individual members. And one of our interests is to see what we can do to re-engage that industrial uh, network. You know, it may well be that, you know, they've got everything they need and they've implemented everything that they can, or it may be that, uh, you know, Switch is not quite providing the um, technical resources or connections or whatever that, that they currently need now that everybody's game has been raised by, you know, the, the common knowledge of what sustainability is all about. So those two things are, are really driving us, certainly at, at the board level, um, as we are, are planning for the next year or two. My, actually, my, that was my second last question. My, my last question is, if, uh, if, you, if one wants to be involved with Switch, if one wants to get to learn more about it, um, can you tell us a little bit more about how they how folks can get involved and perhaps maybe some information about the next meeting? Ted, do you want to do that one? Sure, yeah. So our signature event at Switch is the monthly open meeting. It's the first Friday of every month, except for August. Uh, and it's at 8 o'clock in the morning. We had been uh, meeting in person, but we, for the last few months, we have been meeting uh, on Zoom. 
So if you go to the uh, website uh, for Switch, it's uh, switchontario.ca. So switchontario, all one word, .ca. And go to the event section. You'll see that our next event is in a couple of weeks. It's the first Friday of July at 8 o'clock in the morning. And uh, we're going to have uh, an electric vehicle panel, which is uh, we've had one of them before. And it's, it was a very, very lively uh, discussion with a lot of people coming in and talking about all sorts of practical aspects um, of, uh, of purchasing, owning, and operating electric vehicles, and also uh, sort of broader policy issues. Uh, and I think the best way to uh, get to know Switch is to come to one of the meetings. We always have everybody uh, introduce themselves, so uh, you get to know who the other people are there. In the past, we've even had business ventures or people find jobs at Switch meetings. There's a lot of networking that goes on. We're trying to keep that going well when the meetings are online. But what I would do is invite people to come to the Switch open meeting, and you can find that on our website, switchontario.ca. Great. Well, thank you, David Heinlein and Ted Shu. Thank you very much for, for participating in our very first Sustainably.eco podcast. Thank you very much, and we'll see you at the next Switch meeting. Thank you very much for uh, inviting us to participate, and uh, good luck with the program. Thanks for having us. That concludes episode number one of the Sustainably.eco podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and visit sustainably.eco to learn more. You can also check out sustainablekingston.com. This episode and its music was written, produced, and directed by Jeff Hendry. That's me.